So we are actually wrapping up this series today titled The One-Hit Wonders. We've been going through the last month looking at these one-chapter books of the Bible. And as we've seen, they are short books, but they are not short on content right, or on challenges. And uh, again, they've been very uh, relevant to everything we've been going through. And today's uh, book, the book of Jude, is just as relevant, right? And it's continuing to just add on top of everything that we've been studying. Uh, but again, the premise of this series, right, is that even though these are short books, um, they are powerful ones, and they're in Scripture for a reason. And so we don't want to skip over them, right? But we're going to jump in and, and look at that. But now as we finish this series today, we'll be jumping back into the Gospel of John next week. And so we, again, we studied the Gospel of John this last year. We stopped um, at John 17 in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so we're picking up next week in John 18, uh, where Jesus gets arrested and, and we start moving our way through the Easter story. So we're going to finish the Gospel of John starting next week as we go through uh, the Easter season. So as we look at these books, we've, we, as I said, we've been studying these, these short letters. We started with the book of Philemon and learned about the power of redemption as we looked at the most personal uh, letter that Paul ever wrote in Scripture. And then we moved on into John's writings, and we started with uh, the book of 2 John, and we saw how, uh, how important it is on how we define Jesus, right? And that we need to, uh, to live in the truth and love, and this is a very common theme throughout all of John's writings. And then we, last week, as we looked at, at the uh, third letter of John, and we saw, once again, how that letter is built on top of all of his other writings, and, and we saw uh, in the most personal of John's writings, in Third John, the importance of good leadership, right? and how we start with this firm foundation of a walk with Jesus and accepting him as our Savior, and then we build on top of that, right, of living out truth and love, and, and then how we need to fulfill our role that God has given us to fulfill in the body of Christ. And how important that leadership is. And now today we are going to be uh, looking at the book of Jude. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to the book of Jude here with us in person. And uh, you don't have your own Bible. There are Bibles provided for you in the seats, so you're welcome to use. Again, you'll notice the page numbers are there to where you can find it in those Bibles. Again, if you're with us online, hopefully you have a Bible close to you. Uh, if not, you can just follow along with me as I read it, but we're going to open up to Jude, and Jude's pretty easy to find. It's literally the last book before Revelation, so if you start on the back of your Bible and just flip a few pages over, you'll find Jude. Uh, as you notice, too, this is one of the longer ones we've looked at in this series. It's 25 verses, uh, but we are going to read the entire letter of Jude. So Jude chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 1. This letter is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I'm writing to all who have been called by God the Father, who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more mercy, peace, and love. Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about salvation we all share, but now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority that God gave them, but left the place of, of, of where they belonged. 
God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality of every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. In the same way, these people who claim authority from their dreams live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. But even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. But these people scoff at things that they do not understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them, and so they bring about their own destruction. What sorrow awaits them? For they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. Like Balaam, they deceived people for money, and like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. When these people eat with you in your fellowship meals, commemorating the Lord's love, they are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They are like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. They are like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. They are like trees in autumn that are doubly dead, for they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by the roots. They are like wind waves, like wild waves of the sea, churning the foam of their shameful deeds. They are like wandering stars, doomed forever to blackest darkness. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. And he said, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things they've done and for the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These people are grumblers and complainers, living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves and they flatter others to get what they want. But you, my dear friends, must remember that the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ said, they told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy, satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who create divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and, wait, uh, and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. Now, after reading that letter, we just need to take a little deep breath, don't we? Right, Jude takes us on this interesting journey, right, through some things that are going on within the church and within the world. But before we jump into that, we first have to just ask the question, who is Jude? Again, this letter is titled... Uh, for its author, right? Again, Jude is the one who wrote the letter. We see here he self-identifies himself here in the opening verses, right? That, that he is a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, it's very interesting the way that he addresses himself there, right? That he is James's brother, okay? But he is a slave of Jesus, meaning he's following Jesus. He's committed to him as his savior. But the, the interesting thing that we realize here is that and when you think about who James is, now again, James wrote the book of James, Okay, and he was the brother of Jesus. 
Now, if Jude is the brother of James, that would all naturally imply, right, that he's also the brother of Jesus. But it's interesting that he doesn't claim that identity here. Right? Because, again, he's making a point from the very beginning. Even though he is a brother of Jesus, he's saying, but Jesus is more than a brother. Right? Jesus is my Savior. Now, it's very interesting if you follow the, the journey of the brothers of Jesus. If you look in, in some different places all throughout the Gospels, in fact, there were lots of places in the Gospels where it, it addresses his brothers and his family right? and, and how they didn't believe in Jesus, especially during those times of his public ministry. In fact, there's a few times you see where they actually mocked Jesus in their unbelief. And yet, we see in the book of Acts, again, after his resurrection and his ascension, of how many of his family, right, and his brothers specifically are called out as being some of the most dedicated to spreading the gospel. Obviously, Jude is a part of those ranks of brothers that drastically changed their hearts, right, and the belief that they had in who Jesus was. Um, Something that, again, Jude reiterates here when he doesn't claim to be the brother of Jesus, but yet claims to be a slave of Jesus, or, again, he is a follower of Jesus. But yet he is related to James, so he roundabout says, he is my brother. As we look at that, we also see what this letter is addressed to. This is a very general letter. It's It's given to all believers. He says, again, he wrote it to those who share the knowledge of salvation with him. Okay, and this is not necessarily a specific church, even though there's some very specific instructions, right, as it seems like he addresses some very specific issues. But this is literally addressed to all believers. And also we see in these opening verses that, that Jude um, very clearly shows his intent of writing the letter. Right? He says that I, I had hoped to write you in, 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 to write you in celebration as we just talk about the salvation that we share and, and, and how excited we are to that. And, and again, a, a letter of praise and celebration. And, and yet, then he tells us in verse 4, right, of why he actually is writing. Because he says that, because I have to set that aside because there's some other issues that need to be addressed. He says, I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. Now again, Jude makes the assumption here, right, that we know who Jesus is, and that we have properly assigned, uh, defined him as Messiah. Like I said, he makes the assumption not only that we know who he is, and we, we know that Jesus is the Messiah, but also that we have accepted him as our Savior. Again, this is a letter that is not evangelistic at all. It is very specifically speaking to those who are believers. And now, just as we learned at the beginning of the series in, in the book of Philemon, right, that of, of the importance of being saved. Because once you are saved, once you have prayed and accepted Christ as your Savior, then you receive the Holy Spirit. Right? And the Holy Spirit indwells you and, and, and lives in your heart and opens your eyes and your mind to the things of God. And, and as Jude addresses here again, he's making that assumption. And so before we move on, I want to go back to exactly what we did in Philemon, and to say that I'm, we need to ask the last question first. I like said, typically we get into these conversations and we, we try to build up to the question of, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Right? And oftentimes that's the last question, but we need to ask it first. 
Have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you prayed and accepted him into your life and made him you know, the Lord of your life and put him on the throne of your heart? Because if you haven't, right, then even what we read in the book of Jude is going to be hard to understand. Right? Even trying to live the, the Christian life will be a, a failed effort. Because you cannot do it on your own power. You have to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And without accepting Christ as your Savior, you will not be able to live up to God's standard. That's literally the message of the gospel, that you need a Savior. So, again, I hope you have received Christ as your Savior. If you haven't, then today's the day. right? And you can pray and accept Christ today. Now, whether you have been a follower of Jesus for 30 seconds because you just paused and prayed, right? Or you've been walking with him for decades. The reality is that this letter brings us a big challenge and something that we need to have our eyes open to. Just as we've seen earlier in this series and in some of these letters, right? We know the fact that, that there are wolves in sheep's clothing, right? There are those within the church that are not here with good intentions, Again, we're not obviously addressing just Oregon Trail. I mean, we're talking about church as a whole, right? The faith community, right? The worldwide church. I mean, there are those that are, are infiltrating it on purpose to cause division. And Jude calls it out. Again, as we read this letter, we see how blunt Jude is in some ways. Now, again, I, I love reading James. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. One of the reasons I like it is because it is very blunt. It is straight to the point. Right? James is not beat around the bush. And we can see here in Jude's writing that it must run in the family. Right? Because Jude calls some people out. Right? And, and he lays out the truth pretty, pretty plainly. As we see here just in this verse, right? he's saying, hey, I, I wanted to address salvation, but, but there, there's something else that needs to be addressed. And so I'm going to refocus why I'm writing. And then as he makes this this statement, right, about how these people have infiltrated their way or wormed their way into God's churches, right, and, and, and their, their false teaching and the way that they're pulling people away from, from the truth of who Jesus is and how they're supposed to be living out their daily life and faith journey. We see all these implications of the gospel. And then in verses 5 through 15, Jude goes in and gives many examples of history of what he's talking about, of these examples of, of how these false teachings can, can get into the faith community and how it can cause all kinds of divisions. He gives some, uh, lots of Old Testament examples, some extra-biblical examples. He goes into some things that, that, that aren't mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. Right? And, and yet, he, as he goes through these verses, we, we understand this, this principle that we somewhat are very familiar with even today, and that is the fact that we need to remember and learn from the past. Right? We need to look at the history of the church, look at the history of faith, of who God is, how he's interacted with his creation, and, and, and again, just look at history in general, and there are very valuable lessons to be learned. In fact, I, I'm sure you've heard the very famous quote, right, that if you don't remember the past, you're destined to repeat it. And we need to remember the past, and we need to learn from the past. Let's not learn those lessons over again, right? Because there is a price to be paid, right, if we are naive to what has happened before us. We need to remember and learn from the past. And again, Jude takes us down this road of, of, of the, the history of who God is and how he's interacted with the world. 
before. And then we see in, in Jude 16, right, where, where again, Jude becomes just the most blunt statement of the entire letter, right, in verse 16. And he says that these people are grumblers and complainers, living only to, testif- to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves, and they flatter others to get what they want. I wonder what he really means. Well, I mean, what's he trying to say? I mean, he just lays it out, just straight out. This is who they are, and they're not good people. Right? And we see in this concept, as he calls them out, once again, the same concept we see all throughout Scripture, right, is that their actions and attitudes will reveal where their hearts really are. Right? They, they, it, it's not hard. Just step back and just see. Again, are, are these, they're grumblers, complainers. They live only to satisfy their own desires. Right? They're not, they don't care about you. They don't care about God or the church. They care about themselves. Right? And, and we, again, this is the problem. Right? And, but then the, the good news of the letter, right? even though it's very heavy, the good news is that Jude doesn't leave us there. He gives us some action steps and saying, now what do we do about it? Right? He addresses the problem, and, and this one that, that, again, it's hard for, for any of us that's a part of the church to admit that that might be true. But then he, he, in the following verses, in verses 17 through 23, he gives us action steps on what to do about the problem. And he gives several steps. In fact, he gives seven of them. And, and so, but he starts out with this very first step in these first few verses, in verses 17 through 19, where he tells us to remember what the apostles predicted. And he looks at this and says, Right. They, remember that you shouldn't be surprised at what's happening. This should not be a shock to you when we admit what's, that these people are in the church because the apostles told you they would be there. They, this, this was predicted as, as the world continues to drift further and further away from God's design. Right? As the world gets more and more evil, right? that these things will happen. Now, we see this prophecy in Scripture about the end times, and there's this tone of Jude's letter that is very much focused on the second coming of Christ. Right? And on the fact right, that the church is sitting around going like, Jesus, why haven't you come back yet? Because it's pretty bad down here. And we realize this is kind of the same question that we, we've been asking a lot in the last few years, isn't it? Right? Like, hey, Jesus, now would be a pretty good time. Right, for you to come back, because there's some pretty bad stuff going on in our world. And the reality is that even this first century church, when, where Jude was addressing to them, right, is many of them in the first century church believed that the second coming of Christ would happen in their lifetime. Now, just like, might be somewhat of a common belief even among the church today. Again, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. We know that he's coming back, but we don't know when. Right? And we also know that our world is on this, this dangerous path right? that's moving further and further away from God's design. Right? As evil spreads more and more, right? that we're getting further from, from who God is and the way he created our world, right? and the world is continuing to get darker and darker with more time that passes. And again, there's, I'm, again, many times we look around in our world and think, Lord, now would be a really good time for you to come back. 
right? But again, he's telling us to, to remember what the apostles predicted. Again, we shouldn't be surprised as our culture moves further and further away from God's standards. Right? And obviously, the end times aren't here because we're still here. Right? And until he does return, we need to continue to move forward in our faith. Right? Continue to do these things, again, that, that Jude tells us to do. And it starts with remembering what the apostles predicted. Knowing scriptures. Knowing you know, that, that, that this shouldn't be a surprise. The next thing he tells us to do is to build each other up in the faith. He's saying, so as we know that this world is getting further and further away from God, right? but your job as a follower of Jesus, when you are saved and through the power of the Holy Spirit, right, is that, that you turn your back on that evil and you start moving in the opposite direction of the world. The world's moving away from God, but you and your faith, you move closer to God every day. Right, in your salvation experiences where you make that 180 degree turn from your back to God to you turn around to where you're facing Jesus and saying, now I'm moving in this direction. Right, and as the world continues to move away from God, you start moving closer. And again, build up not just your faith, but he says to build each other up in the faith. He's telling us that the, the, that the more evil the world gets, the more that the world changes, the more important the church becomes. Because the church is supposed to be different. It's supposed to be holy. It's set apart from the world. Right? And Now again, can you be a Christian without being a part of a church? Yes, you can. Your church attendance has zero bearing on your salvation. You absolutely can receive Christ as your Savior, invite him in your life, you know, and, and, and receive Christ as your Savior and be saved and never step foot in a church. That's not why, uh, again, we have the church. It's not to save us. Again, you can, you can be in the church. You can be physically present. You can be watching us online, be a part of the church, and that will not save you. And your salvation is not connected to the church, but... But, do we need, but we absolutely need the church. You can be saved without the church, right? But for you to be able to grow in your faith and to continue to move forward and to be encouraged and loved and, and helped, right, as the, evil, as the evil runs rampant in our world, that's why you need the church. And the more evil the world becomes, the more important the church becomes. Right? To encourage you in your faith, to be lifted up by others when you are weak, Right? They can be strong to, to build each other up in the faith. We need the church. We need to be the church. And the church is not a building. Right? The church is God's people. And those relationships and the family that we are a part of together. And, and he tells us, we need to remember what the apostles predicted and, and build each other up in the faith so you can continue to, to move forward and be more like Christ. And then he says the next thing that you need to make sure you do is, is to, to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because again, you cannot win this battle on your own with your power. In fact, you were never meant to fight this battle of this evil world on your own. Or with your power. I mean, that's at the very core of the gospel message, right? Is the fact that we can't save ourselves, that we need God's power to save us. 
And the same is true as you move forward in your faith, right? That as we pray, that as we fight whatever battle God calls us to fight, that we are not fighting with our power, but with the power of God. Because the reality is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is in you, living in you in the Holy Spirit. And as we see this, right, the main way you tap into that power is through your prayer life. Now, I hope that as a church, right, that the importance and the power of prayer is not a new topic for you because we have spent a lot of time talking about it this year. But the important thing is Jude reminds us that we need to continue to step up our prayer game. Right? And that we need to be seeking the Lord and, and resting in his power. We need to keep doing it. And then the fourth thing he tells us to do is to wait for God to make all things right. He says, wait for God to make all things right. Again, God is the judge. Right? It is not our job as his church to judge the world. It's not my call whether you're saved or not. I don't want that job. I'm glad that God does that job. But it's also not my job. I don't have to take the weight of the world on my shoulders to say, like, I have to right all the wrongs in the world, right? That's, God's not asking you to do that either. Because, right? again, we see the eschatological tone or the tone of the end times, this prediction, right, saying that God will make all things right. Right? God will judge the world. Okay, and we can rest in that fact, right? That God's the one that, gonna, that does the judging, right? That everything will be made right. Are there travesties that happen in this world? Every day. Right? Are people wronged that are, are wrong for, for following Jesus? Yes. Are people wronged who don't follow Jesus? Absolutely, right? It, I, there's all kinds of injustices in our world. Now, again, that's where we have to to, to trust in God's authority, right, that he is the judge and that he will make all things right. Now, there are times, right, in, in my life that I really want to step up and make things right. And maybe there might be times when God calls you to do that, when you need to step up and you need to take the stand and fight the fight. But the reality is not every fight in this world is your fight. This is what we've seen in, in these previous letters, right? That we all have different roles, right? And that there, there might be times when God moves you as a follower of Jesus to say, this is when you need to stand up, you need to open your mouth and fight for me. But there's also times, right, when you need to keep your mouth shut and you need to get on your knees and go back to step three and trust God to make it right. Right? And yet, ultimately, it's the wisdom of the Holy Spirit that lets us know when we're supposed to stand up and fight and when we're supposed to get on our knees. And I'll tell you, you're supposed to get on your knees every time. Again, see step three. Right? And then, if God is calling you to step up and fight, then you step up and fight. But as we look at this, right, again, a big part of this is asking God when we need to take a stand and for what. And if we do take a stand, we need to make sure that we represent God well. Let me say that again. If God is leading you to step up and fight, you need to make sure that you represent God well. 
And I will tell you, there have been many times when I've turned on the television and watched the news cycle, right, when somebody steps up claiming to be a Christian, and I'm ashamed at the way they're representing God. And I'm thinking, Lord, please don't let the world lump me into what they're saying as a follower of you. Right? Because there are those that are representing God very poorly. And yet, we need to make sure that we are people that are representing God well if he tells us to step up and fight. Right? And, and again, that it's about God and his kingdom and not ourselves or my own thoughts. As we see these first four steps, then we then move into step five and and that is that we are told to show mercy to those with a wavering faith. Right? Realize that the, the worse the world gets, that the, the harder it is to stand up for God and to continue to move forward in your faith. And, and that if somebody wavers in their faith to show them mercy right? and, and build them up, right? be the church that, needs, that they need in that moment of their wavering faith. Because the reality is everybody's journey is different. Right, your journey looks different than my journey, and the person that's on your row, their journey is different than yours. Right, and everybody's journey is different, but yet we are all, again, supposed to be here as the church to build them up if their faith wavers. Which leads into the next step, right, naturally leads into that. If we're doing that well, right, that we, it moves us to step six, which is also rescuing people from judgment. Again, it's not my job to save anybody. I can't save anybody. Only God can save. Right? But it is our job, the job of every believer, to share the truth of who Jesus is. And that evangelism is very important. And it needs to continue to happen until Christ returns. In fact, I believe that's why Jesus hasn't come back yet, because there are more people he wants to save. Right? And we need to do our job, right, to help rescue people from judgment. And again, once again, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit, right, that does the saving. Right? But, but it is our job as followers of Jesus, as his church, to show the world who Jesus is. Right? And, and to help them find God. Again, we still need to represent God well. Because we are his hands and feet. And then we get to the, the last step, step seven in verse 23, where Jude tells us that we have to be careful. Right? As we work through these steps, as we live out our faith, as, as the world gets more and more evil and darker and darker, right? as it continues to move further away from God's design, that we as, as the light of Christ need to be very careful. Again, we need to focus on the right things. Right, that, that we have our position of we, where we know Scripture says, but we also need to be very conscious of our posture, of how we interact with and address the unbelieving world. Because the reality is that the unbelieving world is watching. And we need to be very careful. Are we representing God well? How are we interacting with you? What are we saying? Are we, are we showing them the love of God or are we showing them that the church hates them? Again, as we, as we look at this, this, 
Again, Jude presents this concept in, uh, of, of how we need to, to focus again on the evil of the world, not on the people that are doing that evil. Right? The, even the heart uh, of, of even these people that are, are in the church and causing division, that, that our heart still needs to be that they need saved. Okay? And, and yet we, we have this phrase that's been used a lot in the church. Okay? This phrase, this concept that is, to hate the sin, but love the sinner. And this is a phrase that I've heard in church culture for my entire life. But we also need to be conscious. Again, we need to be very careful. And, and this, this common phrase, which is the concept that Jude presents here, and it's presented in, in other places of Scripture as well, but again, we have to be careful because when we say that phrase as the church, what we emphasize in that phrase is that we hate the sin, but we love the sinner. But you know what the unbelieving world hears when they hear that phrase? They hear hate. And they don't hear any of the words after the first word that is, that is hate. Right? And that's what the un- unbelieving world hears. And unfortunately, that's what they feel. very relevant to our times, isn't it? We have to be careful, church. We have to represent God well. And again, we can't lead with hate the sin. Again, we have to stand strong for God's design and, and, and the right truth. I mean, absolutely. Right, but we have to represent God well. And we, as the church, have not done a good job of this. And as we realize the importance of all of these steps, right, we can look at the, the, the bigger picture of them that Jude gives us. And we look at and realize that steps one through four focus on the inner life of the church. And you know, what are we, as the church, for other believers? How are we focused on helping each other? How am I working on my own faith? Right, but we, we see this right in the middle of these steps, right in the middle of verse 21. Jude literally pauses after he gives us these first four steps, and he summarizes them with the second part of verse 21, when he says, and in this way you will keep yourselves safe in God's love. How many people want to be safe in God's love? Yep. I want to be in that line. Right, he says, if you do these, again, this, this inner life of the church, then, then that will be true. And then also then the, the last step, steps five through seven, are focused on the outward and public life of the church. Again, how does the unbelieving world see the church? And therefore, how do, what do they learn about God by the way that we act as the church? And we, we realize the importance of that, again, and, and, and how, how we need to again, step up our game, right, in, in living out the truths of who God is. Right, because the unbelieving world is not seeing the right things. Again, Peter in his letter addresses this same concept. I think I think it, he actually summarizes it very well. These are pretty famous evangelistic verses here in First Peter three fifteen and sixteen, where he says, "Instead, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life." Again, focus on your faith first. Right, live it out well. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. 
Right? The way we are living out our faith should be attracting the unbelieving world to find out who Jesus is. So much that they will ask you about it. And then when they do, then you tell them the truth of who Jesus is. But do it in a gentle and respectful way. Or as Jude says, be careful. Right? As we see this, this reality right, that, that plays out in these action steps as we live out our faith, Every day, we then get to the conclusion of the letter in verses 24 and 25. And as we get to that conclusion, we we have to to look at this this underlying question that Jude is addressing to, to the church. And that is, what is the focus of your life? Who's really on the throne of your heart? Is it God? Are you living for Jesus? Are you representing him well? Or is it not? Is it something else? Because if it's something else, it's likely yourself. Because Jude presents two options. What is the focus of your life? Is it it's going to be yourself? And it's defined by selfishness, or is it God? Again, he describes the, the selfish life in verses 8 and 10. Right, where he says, these people who claim authority from their dreams, live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. These people scoff at the things that they do not understand, like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them, and so they bring about their own destruction. And yet, the opposite of that, right? If God is the focus of your life, if God is on the throne of your heart, if you're living that out every day, then he addresses what that life looks like in these final two verses of the letter, in verses 24 and 25, where he says, Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away, and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present, and beyond all time. Amen. Again, he's saying, who has the real authority in your life, right? Who, who do we give authority to? I encourage you, look back at both of those passages. Both of those passages address authority. And, and those that are living for themselves say that they, def, they are the authority, right? They define what truth is. We've heard that before, haven't we? Well, your truth is true for you, but my truth is true for me. Very common attitude in our culture today. But who has the real authority? As you see in these verses, right? he says, no, God is the authority. It says that he's always been the authority, right? He was there before all time. He's still the authority now, and he will be for all time. The past, the present, and the future. God is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is God. We are not. And if he is God, that means he gets to decide what's right and wrong. He gets to define for us the way the world should be. He's the authority, not me. And, And then notice how he ends this challenge, right, to give God all authority. He, he ends it with amen. And again, the literal translation of amen is so be it. 
right, which means you're acknowledging the fact, right, that God is the authority and I'm submitting to that truth. That God is the one who has the authority, that I surrender to him and to his power and to his will. And that now, again, God, you are the authority, you define truth, you define what's right and wrong, and so be it. I submit to that. Which leads me to my final thought this morning, and that is this. No matter how much the world changes, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And does God have full authority in your journey? Will you give God full authority? That starts with you receiving him as your savior. Right? From praying and confessing your sin and inviting him into your life. And once you make that commitment, then you start the process of growing your faith to where he truly becomes your Lord. Right? And you have to die to yourself and submit to his authority every single day. And that's how you truly move forward in your faith and how you will represent God well as you fulfill your role in his church. Again, I don't know where you're at today. If you've never received Christ as your savior, then I hope that you would start that journey today. If you have, then commit to taking the next step in your faith, to, to moving forward in your faith, to representing God well, to, to, to living out these steps that Jude has given us. Again, wherever you're at, I hope that you move forward today. Lord God, we thank you that we can run to you, God, whenever we need to. God, we thank you that your spirit is with us. God, that as a follower of Jesus, that your spirit lives in our heart. And that you continue to transform our, our mind and open our eyes, God, to, to how, how the world really is and how much it desperately needs you. And God, I pray that as your church, God, that we would shine your light in this dark world. God, that as the, as the world continues to get darker and darker, God, that, that we as the church, Lord, would shine brighter and brighter with your presence. God, help us as we go this week, Lord, to represent you well. God, to show the world who you really are. And God, to move forward in our faith every day. God, we want to be more like you tomorrow than we are today. God, every day this week, help us to live out our faith. Lord, and help the unbelieving world to see who you really are. God, give us the courage, God, to represent you. Lord, to make that invite to to pray for those that don't know you. But to show them who you are by our actions and our attitudes. But as we go this week, Lord, we commit to being your church, to shining your light every day. Guide our steps. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.